This is Greg Lois, and thanks for joining me today for a webinar uh, that was titled, if you're following along in the calendar we published, uh, an overview of defenses in New York. But really, that didn't seem like a very compelling topic, and particularly in light of some new things that are coming down in terms of COVID-19 claims, that I thought I would switch this up a little bit and do five or six minutes uh, on COVID-19 and what's going on, what's changing, pending legislation. Uh, and then open it up for questions. So I hope everybody brought some questions today. Uh, this is the second session of the uh, webinar that we do today. And the first session gave me some great questions, uh, some interesting ones, and I'll even share with you uh, some of the questions I got from them. So I'm gonna talk a little bit about uh, what kind of COVID-19 or coronavirus claims can be compensable, which ones aren't. I'm gonna talk about jurisdictional standards of proof, what's changing in terms of standards of proof. I'm gonna to try to talk about some of the new ancillary sort of related claims that we're seeing coming in now uh, and how we're defending those. And of course, I'm gonna to try to give you as much practical advice as I can. Now, the most important part and useful part of these webinars, I believe, uh, is the question and answers. So please, uh, if you have any questions, type them into me. And there's a little box that pops up on your screen. Type them in as we're going along. Uh, I won't answer them as we go. I'll do my four or five or six slides that I have to get through and talk about the basics of coronavirus and what we're starting to see, and then I'll start answering questions. But please type them in as we go along. You don't have to wait for me to get to the end to start typing in your questions. Um, all right, uh, if you don't have a copy of our handbooks by now, something went drastically wrong, uh, let me know and we'll get them right out to you. A lot of our clients want hard copies and I'm happy to send those out to you. We also have digital copies of our handbooks, including our brand new for this year, Construction Defense uh, Litigation Handbook that was written by my partner, Tashia Razul. Very happy to get those out to you or electronic versions. Uh, please note that we have a new monthly schedule. We now have a different webinar every Monday. Uh, we have one on civil defense or risk transfer, one on construction defense, New York workers' comp defense, and New Jersey workers' comp defense. You probably already know that uh, because you're at this one. All right, let's quickly talk about the basics of coronavirus and whether or not these cases can be compensable. And the short answer is, yeah, it's possible for a coronavirus or COVID-19 claim to be compensable in New York or New Jersey or even Longshore. And really, uh, there are different standards of proof uh, uh, based on uh, how the claimant alleges they got their condition. So uh, we the first question we need to ask when you're confronted with a potential coronavirus or COVID-19 case is how are they alleging they caught this infection? Are they alleging a specific traumatic accident or are they alleging it's just general workplace exposure? In regards to a traumatic specific accident, we're really looking for a discrete mode of infection. We're really talking about someone who says, I went to work, I was exposed to a COVID-19 patient or coworker, we had an exchange of bodily fluids at this date and time, and as a result of that, I now have this condition. It's gotta be really specific, really cut and dry. There has to be a specific incident. And in uh, case law for the last 100 years regarding communicable disease, where there can be a one-time, very specific transmission uh, that is in the course of the person's employment. So it's the kind of transmission you would expect them to be confronted with. For example, a healthcare worker uh, who's working with a COVID-19 patient who says uh, the patient uh, got combative, ripped their mask off, coughed in their face, and then 24 hours later, the person has a fever. I think that those are potentially cases that could be uh, accepted as compensable. Now, our advice to clients has been very consistent. Even when you get a very compelling set of facts like that, we're generally just 
disputing the case while we do our normal investigation. We're going to be looking at the initial medical records. We're going to be asking the claimant our normal questions, uh, and this would really be up to the risk professional. You're going to ask questions like, is this your only job? Do you have another job? I mean, we have found cases where the claimant uh, is alleging they got the exposure at work, but then we're finding out that they're a volunteer firefighter, and they've been uh, providing uh, emergency medical services to people in a volunteer capacity. Or they say, I've got another part-time job, and in that part-time job, I'm a cashier at a supercenter or superstore, uh, or I work at a uh, at the drive-through of a restaurant or something. And you say, okay, well, where was this exposure exactly? And it gives you a ground to defend the case. All right, uh, both states allow for an occupational exposure theory of causation. And this is really used the, the claimant saying, you know, I didn't get my injury from any one specific incident or accident. Really, it's the result of my exposures to a deleterious substance or an infectious substance as a result of my general workplace exposure. And, and we could think of many cases in which this would be found compensable. I mean, think about a workplace that maybe works with solvents or chemicals, and the claimant alleges that over time they were breathing in these chemicals and they developed a respiratory condition. Yeah, that's the classic occupational claim. Or another classic occupational exposure claim is a noise claim. You know, I operated a, 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 a jackhammer, Greg, for 25 years, and I have lost my hearing in my both of my ears binaurally above 1,000 hertz. Yeah, you know what? That that's an occupational exposure claim. It's the repetitive exposure to something peculiar or unique in the workplace that leads to an overall medical impairment or condition. Now, the jurisdictional standards of proof are on the claimant. The claimant has to show that there is some peculiar, distinct nature of their employment that led to the actual occupational condition. Generally speaking, uh, infectious diseases, and particularly communicable diseases, are not endemic or germane to any one employment. There's nothing unique or distinctive about working at a grocery store or working uh, in a warehouse that's going to expose you to COVID-19. And so in general, where the claimant cannot pinpoint any exposure, just sort of says, well, as a, uh, as a cashier, I see a lot of people all day long, and I see the general public, uh, that's not going to be enough to establish their claim. And so those claims, uh, we strongly believe, should be disputed and are disputing them. Um, generally, on our workplace exposure cases, the uh, everybody else got it there or everybody else has COVID-19, you know, we're disputing those. Uh, right out of the box. We really don't think that anybody should be accepting these claims. And these are the cases that sound like this. Um, I was fine three days ago, but now I went to work and I found out that someone else has COVID-19 there. And now I believe I have it. And now I'm going to file a claim. It's just, just not enough. All right. Let's talk about what's uh, happening now, what kind of cases we are seeing. I have seen everything uh, so far. Uh, yes, we are defending COVID-19 death claims. Yes, I have some actual distinct or specific accident trauma claims, in which the claimant is a healthcare provider who alleges an infectious disease contact with a COVID-19 positive patient leading directly to their own infection. And yes, I have many, many, many occupational exposure claims in which the claimant uh, simply alleges, well, you know, I was working in a grocery store, everybody else seems to have COVID-19, so that's how I got it. Uh, which are really the weakest of all the claims that we're defending. Um, right now, uh, neither New York or New Jersey or the Longshore uh, jurisdiction have changed their burden of proof. And in all of these jurisdictions, with the exception of the first responders, uh, and that is defined differently in New York and New Jersey, uh, uh, right now the presumption is that these cases are not compensable. Let me repeat that. New York, New Jersey, Longshore, 
it is the burden of the claimant to demonstrate that either a specific incident trauma occurred, specific exposure leading directly to infection, or that there was some peculiar or distinct nature of their employment which led to their infection in order for those cases to be found compensable. And there's almost no cases that are going to be able to survive that bar. The more science that we're developing or learning about COVID-19 claims, the more unlikely does it seem that a claimant would be able to demonstrate causal relationship between the employment and the infection, particularly in the occupational exposure uh, allegation scenario, where the claimant's essentially is saying, well, I work in a grocery store and uh, a bunch of people there tested positive for COVID-19. Now I have it. Plus, I was exposed to the general public. So, you know, you should find this compensable. That's going to be really difficult to prove now in light of the information that we're starting to get which is that even those who have self-quarantined, two-thirds of them have found to have be positive for the antibodies, which really means uh, whether you're exposed to other people or you've been hiding in your house for the last two months, doesn't really seem to have a great impact on who's going to get it and who's not going to get it. The second thing is, I want us all to be very cautious about the difference between the RNA tests. And these are the tests that are really are being done in the laboratory facilities. These are very complex tests that are actually diagnostic for COVID-19. These antibody tests are absolutely not diagnostic for COVID-19. And the CDC on their own website states that these are not to be used to diagnose the presence of the condition. Uh, simply somebody saying, I had a fever three weeks ago, and now they have a positive antibody test it doesn't mean they have COVID-19. It just means they had any coronavirus, any common cold in the last 90 days. So that is not strong evidence uh, or certainly strong enough to uh, create a claim of, for workers' compensation in that context. So let's all be thoughtful about that. Now, the jurisdictional standards right now are favorable to employers in both New York and New Jersey. That may change in New Jersey. New Jersey last week on Thursday, uh, May 14th, New Jersey State Senate passed Senate Bill 2380. And that's the one I've been talking about uh, with my clients for the last couple of weeks. That's the Senate bill that says anybody working in an essential industry, which really is anybody who's been working for the last couple of months, if they have COVID-19, there's a presumption that they got it at work. When you read the bill, uh, the, the one that passed, it actually seems at the beginning it says, you know, first responders, medical care uh, providers, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it looks like it's being very narrowly tailored. But then when you get to the, the last section of the description of who it applies to, it says anyone who worked in any essential capacity. So that's basically anybody who reported to work in the last several months will get the benefit of this presumption. Now, it is not the law yet in New Jersey, but it has passed in the Senate. It now goes to the New Jersey Assembly. We'd expect that. It is before the Assembly right now. They referred it to the uh, Labor Committee. Uh, and if this gets passed by the assembly, I would expect this thing to be signed into law very shortly by the uh, Governor Murphy, who seems to want to give any giveaway he can give uh, at this time. So the law may change in New Jersey and it may change soon. If the law does change, you can be certain you'll get an email from me uh, describing exactly what this means and how this is going to impact your New Jersey jurisdiction claims. Right now in New York, we do not anticipate a change in the law. Uh, there is nothing pending. The budget did pass in April and no COVID-19 workers' compensation legislation went along with that. Now, the warning, of course, is New York seems to, and the, the governors, New York, Connecticut, New Jersey, all seem to be doing whatever they're what, uh, copycatting each other. So if New Jersey passes this silly-hearted bill, you can expect something to maybe come down in New York in the future. We will certainly be watching that for you. Uh, also of interest today, and this is really one of the reasons I spurred on this case, is because uh, today, in today's Wall Street Journal, 
they're reporting uh, all of these incidents going on where uh, patrons of retail stores who don't want to wear masks are beating up the store security and the store personnel who are telling them, hey, go go put your costume on. We've got to, you know, uh, put on our show here. Uh, people are refusing to put on their masks and actually attacking and assaulting retail workers. So that's a crazy development. And uh, strangely, uh, even though the underlying COVID-19 claims are saying are probably not compensable, uh, most of them, uh, but if your employee, your retail employee is assaulted or attacked by an angry patron who doesn't want to put on their COVID costume, uh, that would be compensable. It would directly arise out of and in the course of the employment. They're doing something that furthers the employer's business, which is keeping in compliance with the costume rules, and that would therefore then lend itself to a compensable injury. Um, some more practical advice, and here's something I want to uh, be thoughtful about. I've seen death claims, we've seen exposure claims, we've seen infection claims, but I've also started to see anxiety and PTSD claims around coronavirus. And one of the most notable ones that I'm currently defending is a claimant who didn't actually test positive for COVID-19. Simply working in a retail environment and said, you know, I'm getting really scared about reporting to work in a grocery store and brings a claim for an anxiety. How are they getting the medical? Well, they're doing a teledoc telemedicine. I'm calling a doctor. I'm saying, I got anxiety. I can't sleep. I can't eat. And I'm worried about reporting the work because of coronavirus. Doctor writes them out of work, gives them an anxiety claim. We are now defending an anxiety coronavirus claim. And that's my caution to my employers and self-insureds right now who are thinking about being a nice guy or a nice person and accepting these workers' or COVID claims as compensable. Uh, the chair of the New York Workers' Compensation Board did send a, a letter uh, to all of the uh, self-insureds and carriers in New York saying, hey guys, it would be super nice if you would just accept these claims because, you know, you can accept them without prejudice. It'll be really nice of you. Let them get established, pay for their medical. They're only going to lose a couple of weeks of lost time. They'll come right back to work and it'll be really just really great if you guys did that. I also uh, thought it was particularly disgusting that the board chair uh, compared it to the response to 9-11, like as if that's anything close to what's going on here. End result is we did a lot of counseling with clients to tell them, no, absolutely not. Just because uh, the board is feeling paternalistic and you know it's really easy to spend somebody else's money, right? Don't do it. Well, here's another reason not to do it. Even if you are trying to be just a really nice employer, nice guy, nice carrier and pay for these claims uh, and allow them to be established, you know, without prejudice, ha, 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 you're setting yourself up for six months from now or a year from now, anxiety and PTSD claims. When these claimants start saying, oh, I can't go back to work, I'm scared of catching something else. I can't go to work, I'm scared of getting the flu next time. Anything uh, that they're gonna come up with uh, to build these claims back up. Believe me, when the claimant's bar starts to wake up and starts getting the teledocs to write people out of work for anxiety, we're gonna have a big problem with that. All right, so our practical advice is to dispute and deny these things as best we can put the claimant to their proofs. Not every one of these cases is going to be compensable. In fact, very, very, very few of them are going to meet the standard. In general, both New York and New Jersey, communicable disease are specifically exempted or prohibited in the statute from compensation. And so we should be relying on them. All right, I'm hoping there's some good questions. It's time for the live question and answer. This is frankly my favorite part. Uh, if you have a question, please type it in now. I'm going to come over here and pull these up, and I'm hoping we've got some good questions to share. You know, even if you think your question's a little obvious uh, or you know, maybe know the answer to it, sometimes it's useful because another person who's watching today will hear your question and it'll get them thinking about how they can defend or better handle their claims. All right, so Colin asked the first question. Uh, 
Greg, a proposed bill has been introduced for consideration in New York State Senate, which would classify contraction of COVID-19 as occupational disease. Has there been any movement on such? When can we expect this to be addressed? Yeah, there's there's been multiple things that's been changed. The last time they changed the law in relation to COVID-19 was March 18th, and that was really in terms in relation to disability benefits. Right now, we're just watching this one. Again, it's only been introduced. It would still have to go through committee. It would then have to be voted on by both House and then signed into law. So we are a little ways away from that. The danger, Colin, is if that if the New Jersey's bill passes, and it, frankly, it looks to me like the Jersey bill might pass this week and be signed into law by the governor, already passed in the Senate. It just has to pass in the assembly, which should probably do what the Senate does. Again, New Jersey's a one-party state, just like New York. Uh, in other words, as long as the union bosses want it, they're going to get it. Okay, so these are things that are going to happen. Uh, we're going to be really carefully looking at New York. I would expect if New Jersey passes it and it starts to be uh, 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 followed here in Jersey, then I would expect in New York the same thing to happen, that they'll piggyback on it. They, the governors seem to be sort of following each other. One decides something, the next one does the exact same thing, uh, and they're sort of working the states in lockstep. So we're going to keep our eyes open on that. Um, okay, Mary says, police departments are passing changes to bargaining agreements to cover COVID under 20 OC as a presumption. What impact would this have on submitted workers' comp claims, and how do we defend? All right, so Mary's referring specifically to New York, because I see you mentioned Section 207C, which is line of duty injuries. There already is a presumption in the New York workers' compensation law that entitles a first responder, and that is defined as, you know, as you would imagine, police officers, uh, emergency medical personnel, ambulance drivers, et cetera, but it also extends to correctional officers uh, in New York. Uh, a presumption that if they claim they were exposed to some kind of infectious agent, that they are entitled to testing uh, for that treatment, uh, for that condition. So there really actually is a presumption in the law for the first responders, which would apply to testing for them. Uh, in New Jersey, the same thing, there is a presumption for first responders who claim to be exposed to an infectious uh, disease or substance as part of their employment. In fact, that just passed into law last July, that's July of 2019, so quite fortuitous, really, for first responders in New Jersey. But yeah, they already are entitled to exceptions and carve-outs. And what you're asking is, well, uh, what if they start calling this occupational condition one of the line of duty injuries that just is automatically compensated under line of duty, which, by the way, is their full wages uh, compensation? Uh, yeah, and that's possible. Um, next, Melissa asked the question, what are your thoughts about delivery drivers? All right, so delivery drivers are not in any type of special class. And, and I think Melissa's asking me the question here about delivery drivers, meaning aren't they, are, shouldn't they be in some kind of special uh, protected class or be considered differently? And I've got this question a lot about, particularly about healthcare workers. I've had a lot of clients say things like, well, Greg, if someone's a healthcare worker and they get COVID-19, shouldn't we just make the presumption that it's as a result of the employment? And I keep challenging and saying, well, why? I mean, what, what would be special about that one employment? They're coming in contact with it maybe more than the general public. So that would be maybe one reason. Uh, if they're saying that they don't have any PPE provided to them, there's no protective device, there's no mask, maybe that would be something. But really, even in the case of a medical provider, I'm going to be looking for some specific incident, some special trauma, something discreet, where they're saying, I was dealing with a patient, they got combative, they pulled my mask aside, and that's when the, the infection occurred. Really need them to give us more than just, well, I work in a place where they have this condition, because we're all going to be able to say that. I mean, we're now finding out that 70% of people tested have the antibodies, which 
really starts to suggest, well, everybody's going to be exposed to this thing. Uh, there's not any one employment that's going to be more or less likely. So really, we're going to continue to look at those specific events. Same thing with the delivery drivers. I know we're all thinking about delivery drivers and we're saying, well, you know, they're touching a lot of uh, materials that they can't control and they're certainly going into different businesses uh, they're still going in and making the drop-offs uh, now our UPS and FedEx guys are not they're kind of leaving me at our front door my law couriers my law service couriers they won't come inside my property anymore uh, so I don't know how much that's happening my Amazon and UPS delivery guys in my hometown are just leaving it on our front steps they're not even ringing the bell or anything anymore so I don't know how how much communication they're having with with you know the, the general population but no i wouldn't hold them out as any kind of special risk or entitled to any sort of special presumption uh than anyone else in the in the general workforce would be so at this point our recommendations our guidance to clients is still to defend and dispute these most of these cases uh, unless there's a very specific verifiable traumatic event uh, in general these cases are not going to be compensable and that's really just following a hundred years of case law on all sorts of communicable diseases because this isn't the first time that communicable disease has become an issue in new york and new jersey these are states that have case law on things like measles mumps tuberculosis uh the kinds of uh medical conditions we don't have these things anymore you know we certainly don't have to worry about uh tuberculosis outbreaks in our employments anymore but they did in the past our case law consistently came out and said that these conditions Generally, communicable diseases contracted from coworker to coworker uh, or from coworker from a general risk are not compensable. So we feel very strongly about that. All right, uh, that's the last of the questions. I thank everybody who asked me a question. Thank you, Colin, Mary, and Melissa. Uh, if you have any other questions I didn't get to, please feel free to reach out to me and I'll be very happy to answer your questions in email or telephone. Hope everybody stays safe and I look forward to seeing everyone next month in our normal series. All right, have a great day, everybody.